Friends, at this time in our service, I'd like to invite you once again to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark and turn with me once again to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. If you're visiting here with us or you haven't been with us in some time, uh, we've returned after a summer series in the book of Isaiah. We've returned to the gospel of Mark. We have been as a church going through the gospel of Mark, the life of Jesus in the briefest uh, action packed of the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are the ones that are very similar in composition. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the teaching of Jesus on the end times which was precipitated by his comment that the beautiful and magnificent buildings of the Temple Mount would be destroyed. Not one stone would be on top of the other. And so his disciples came to him as they left the Temple Mount, crossing the Kidron Valley, and sat on the Mount of Olives. And as they sit in this, just as a reminder, a picture we have of Jesus on the Mount of Olives, speaking to his disciples about the future of the temple, of the temple of the Lord, and how important that is to God's timetable of prophecy, especially as we look at the end times. Jesus uh, says that, uh, that not one stone will be standing, and so his disciples come to him and say, when will this happen? What will be the signs that this will take place? And so for the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, we looked at the signs that this would soon take place. And Jesus said that the signs would be things like wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, there would be uh, diseases and so forth. And these would be like the birth pains heralding the arrival of a child. They wouldn't be the end times, but they would point to them and lead up to them. And last week, Jesus spoke of the abomination that causes desolation. That amazing prophecy from the book of Daniel that speaks of the fact that the temple of God would be desecrated in such a way that the worship of God would end. It would become des desolate. And we saw how that prophecy was fulfilled at various times throughout history. And these uh, immediate fulfillments would all culminate in the ultimate fulfillment, which takes place, uh, it's mentioned in the book of Daniel as the prince that will come. He desecrates the temple. We know that that is the uh, figure of the Antichrist, or as the Apostle Paul refers to him, uh, the, uh, the man of lawlessness. The, the book of Revelation refers to him as the beast. And uh, that takes place midway through that seven years, that final prophetic week of years, those seven years, midway through the beast, the Antichrist, who has made a covenant with the people of Israel. It seems he has restored the temple worship, but now the temple is hijacked and he sets himself up as God to be worshipped. And that's midway through that revelation time. And Jesus says, it gets bad. It's not on the screen, but I want to remind you of Jesus' words in verse 19. Jesus says, because those will be days of distress, tribulation, those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world till now and never equaled again. They will be the worst days ever. And as we'll see today, not only are they made bad because of the reign of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, and the wars and the plagues and so forth, but because the wrath of God will be poured out upon his reign in those three and a half years. Uh, the book of Daniel, as I mentioned last week, is like a, 
It's like a calendar of events. It's like a clock, a timetable of the end times. It gives us uh, specific times and dates and lengths of time. But when you go to the book of Revelation, you see the last days in much greater detail. For instance, the wrath of God, you see it taking place in a series of seals on a scroll that are opened, a series of trumpets that are blown in heaven, a series of bowls of wrath that are poured out on the earth, and it goes back and forth between the actions of God in heaven and the resulting outcome on earth in those last days. But when you come to this teaching of Jesus on the Mount of Olives, thus giving it its name the Olivet Discourse, when you come to this, it's a basic outline. Jesus, in a very brief way, is answering their questions. He says there will be signs pointing to the end times. The temple will be desecrated, the abomination which causes desolation. And today we'll see the fact that Jesus says, and after those days of great tribulation and distress... Jesus will return. I call today's message His glorious appearing. This is what it builds up to. Following those days of tribulation and distress and the wrath of God, Jesus returns. Remember the book of Acts as Jesus ascended to His Father's right hand from the Mount of Olives and His disciples stood there looking up and the angels appeared to them and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you looking up? This same Jesus will return. And this time Jesus returns, his second coming. His first we celebrated Advent. Jesus came as a baby, a helpless child. The book of Philippians in chapter 2 says that he emptied himself of his glory and became a son of man in fulfillment with prophecy. But when he returns, it will be as the king that he is returning to his own, and he will bring judgment and wrath upon sin in the world, and he will rescue his children. Let's look at that today, his glorious appearing. Well, if we turn to Mark chapter 13, we begin as Jesus talks about those last three and a half years, those terrible years, those days of great tribulation and distress, with the great tribulation. In Mark chapter 13, we'll begin reading as Jesus follows up that verse 19 saying it's the worst days ever. In verse 20, he continues, says, if the Lord had not cut short those days, those terrible days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. Be on your guard, Jesus says. He's giving us an alert, a heads up. On what is coming. One of the signs that the end times were coming is that rise of false Christs and false prophets. But as we see in the detailed teaching of the book of Revelation, the great false Christ, the Antichrist himself, comes upon the scene. And the false prophet, the second beast, can do miraculous things, even calling fire out of heaven 
counterfeit miracles to deceive the world. And if possible, the Bible says even to deceive the elect. Second Thessalonians chapter two speaks of those times in this man of lawlessness that gives us some good detail on that time. This chapter was written in Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church because he had heard that they were troubled. Some teachers had taught them falsely that Jesus had already returned, that they had missed the last days. And the apostle Paul says, hold the bus. He's, he's correcting that misunderstanding. He says in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, beginning in verse 3, he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day... And when they refer to that day in Scripture, it's always the day of the Lord, the last day, judgment day, the return of Christ. He says, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. This is the tribulation and the Antichrist, the man doomed to destruction. As Revelation 19 says, he and the false prophet are thrown alive into the lake of fire. Verse 4, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. There we have it again. The false prophet, the antichrist, and the abomination that causes desolation. He puts himself in God's place. This is what Jesus is referring to in briefest outline form. For the full story, we have to go to the prophetic books in the Old Testament, as well as the teaching in Corinthians and Thessalonians and Second Peter, and most of all in the book of Revelation. Of course, we don't have time for that this morning, but we're focusing on Mark chapter 13. Well, that's the great tribulation. And after those three and a half years, that day that we look forward to with great joy, the blessed hope, the return of Jesus, but which the world looks forward to, or they should, with fear and utmost trepidation. It brings us now to Jesus' teaching of the return of Christ the King. He's coming back. And though he ascended into the clouds and was hidden from their sight, as we see in this, his return will be so glorious, so glorious. The return of Christ, the King. Pick up the story again in Mark chapter 13 as Jesus continues to teach. Beginning in verse 24, Jesus says, But in those days, following that distress, the great tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Great signs in the heavens. Now when Jesus is teaching this, this is very familiar to his disciples. Jesus is just telling them that this is when these great heavenly signs will take place. Why? Because the teaching of Jesus on his own return is rooted, rooted in the Old Testament prophecies. For instance, Jesus teaching that at the return of Jesus, there will be great signs in heaven. That's found as well in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, verses 30, 31. The prophet Joel writes, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire, billows of smoke. 
The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Amazing and terrible. Glorious and dreadful. The great and dreadful day of the Lord, Joel says. And again, this is, this is Jesus. Whenever he referred to himself, his own self-reference in Scripture, his most common name for himself is the Son of Man. And oftentimes we overlook the fact that not only is this referring to the fact that he's fully God and yet fully human, a Son of Man, as well as the one and only Son of God, but he's also in fulfillment, his entire life and ministry is in fulfillment of the prophecies found in Daniel. Daniel speaks of the return of one who's like a son of man, who comes upon the clouds. And we see that amazing teaching in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. This is where Jesus takes his name from, that verse. One like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting. Dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Son of Man coming on the clouds is the return of the King. The Son of David prophesied Jesus, the Son of Man. And when he comes... His kingdom will never end. It will never be destroyed. It's these prophetic passages that are the background and the foundation for Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 13. With these in mind, we continue in Mark chapter 13, verses 26 and 7. Jesus says, At that time, you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Jesus says, I will come back. The Son of Man, come in glory. What a glorious day that will be. And he will gather his elect. It's a great day. Jesus is coming for us. He's coming for his children and he's bringing us home. It's a wonderful day for us. We all look forward to it. But as Joel says, it's a great and dreadful day for the remainder of the world. Those who don't know Jesus as their Savior, it's the worst day ever when the true king comes home to depose the pretender and punish sin. For he comes at the head of the armies of heaven. Revelation, the book of details, Revelation chapter 19, tells us in detail about the return of the Son of Man. The Apostle John says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Oh no, this is, this is I, skipped a, I skipped a passage. I'm, in the, I'm later in 19. I have two passages from Revelation 19. The Apostle John says of the return of Jesus, Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name 
written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What an amazing and glorious appearing that is as Jesus comes on the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Let's look carefully at that last bit. And that's what we conclude with. The great and dreadful day. It's hard to believe that one event can be so different for different people. The best day ever for some. The worst day. The last day for others. And yet we know, friends, what makes the difference. It's where you stand in regard to God's Son, Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the only way to the Father, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I ask again that pertinent question, are you ready for that day? If that day were today, would it be the best or the worst day for you? For the Bible says prophetically in many passages that that day is the day where the wrath of God that has been stored up for all the sins of mankind, great sin and small, everything from a hurtful and unkind word to genocide, from the wars of man nation upon nation, to the war upon the unborn, the slaughter of the innocents. God sees it all. Nothing escapes His gaze. And it will all be punished. It will all be judged righteously on that day. It's put so clearly in the prophet Isaiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 9 of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Isaiah writes, See, the day of the Lord is coming. A cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and I will humble the pride of the ruthless. It will all be set right when the judge comes. For the one who comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords is also the one who is the righteous judge. And he knows where each one stands in regard to him. If they have repented of their sin and opened their heart, turning to him for salvation, or whether they have scoffed, laughed, and rejected God's only son. It will be a dreadful day of judgment. Dreadful. But that same event, the return of the king, for others, it makes our hearts leap. 
If you're as old as me, you remember back in the 70s, there was a wonderful Dallas home song, The King is Coming. Oh, it soared. It made your heart just fly. The King is coming, and He's coming for me. We look forward to the return of Christ. For us, it's reunion. It's rescue. God's family will be reunited. Our loved ones in the Lord who have gone home ahead of us, we will all be together around that great supper table. And it's not just any meal. It's the greatest meal. The Bible tells us in that same chapter, chapter 19 of Revelation, that speaks of the dreadful aspect of the return of Jesus, a conquering king at the head of his armies. It tells it's also for others going to be the best day celebration the wedding supper of the lamb encouraging us to be sure that you have your name written in the lamb's book of life that you have your invitation to that day that's where the apostle john as i mentioned earlier in verse six says then i heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Friends, it's so clear. Where do you stand today in regard to Jesus? If you don't know him personally, you don't know where you would be on that day, whether you would be one fearing the dreadful return of a conquering king are celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb as Jesus and His church are home together at last. Don't put it off. For between that great prophetic time and that last seven years, that last week of years, is the age of grace, the church age. This age where each one of us can respond to the invitation to give our hearts to the Lord. Don't put it off. I finish today with Peter's reminder in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes to a church that's wondering what's taking so long. They expected Jesus to come back soon after he left. And it's been so long by the time Peter wrote this letter that people are mocking them and are scoffing at the idea that Jesus will ever come back. But Peter writes, the Lord isn't slow. He's keeping his promise. He's on his timetable. As Peter writes, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, <clears throat> a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone come to repentance. That's what God is waiting for. You may ask, what is He waiting for? Well, perhaps He's waiting for you. He's giving you time to come to Him. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we look forward to that day, that great and dreadful day of the Lord. Lord, with anticipation, with hope. Lord, you give us these clear prophecies to let us know that though it will be hard, as Jesus said, there will be official persecution. There will be personal opposition. But Lord, all of these things you know about. And Lord, you are bringing the right conclusion to history. That no sin will escape your gaze. Everything will be judged and made right. Lord, during this time, if today we know you and we look forward to the return of Christ, Lord, may we be motivated that the day is drawing near. May we be motivated to share with courage the love of Jesus with those who need to hear it. Lord, may it drive us. May prophecy not be something that's just of passing interest or a hobby that we study. Lord, but may it be the motivation to share your word, the true word of God, a word of grace and salvation to this hurting world. Lord, as we close our time together, I pray that you will send us out to our personal mission fields. Lord, for some, you are calling them across cultural boundaries and across oceans. But for others, Lord, you're calling us to cross the street, the back fence, Lord, a person that we've known for years but have never shared Jesus with. Lord, send us out from this place of worship to our places of ministry. Send us, Lord, as your ministers of hope, as your missionaries of the good news. Lord, this is our prayer. And we ask it all in Jesus' loving name. Amen. God bless you and keep you. Remember the kids downstairs, those programs and the children next door. Uh, the, the government asks that when we finish in this place up here, that we go directly and pick them up in a timely manner. And our volunteers would appreciate that, appreciate that too. God bless you and keep you.